So how many of you have ever noticed things are not often what they seem? Anybody ever made an assumption and regretted that assumption? You know, you just, you thought you had it figured out. You thought it was clear as could be and, and you acted on it. And then suddenly it was like, oops, maybe I didn't have all the facts. You know, it, it reminds me of the story of the CEO who walks into a struggling company and he sees a guy just standing there doing nothing. Bosses like that, right? And the CEO asks him, says, how much do you make a week? The guy responds, about $300. Frustrated, the CEO writes him a check for $1,200, says, here's four weeks pay, now get out and don't come back. And everybody's just kind of stunned and looking at him. He looks at his employees and says, does anyone know what just happened here? From across the room, a voice comes out and says, yeah, you just paid the pizza delivery guy $1,200. <laughs> Sometimes it helps to get all the facts, right? And to pay attention and to really listen to and, and observe what's going on before we act. One of the things we're going to look at today is what Jesus chooses to amplify in the middle of an amazing miracle, okay? And it's something that the, the miracle in itself is, is enough to get everybody's attention, but Jesus is pressing things further. He's moving things along that, look, it's not just about the miracle. The miracles serve a purpose. They're pointing to something bigger, and he wants to make sure people get the bigger picture of what's going on. And so we're going to look today in Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 32. And we're going to start out and just look at verses 17 through 26. And it says, On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with, the, with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this that, who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So what we find in this is that Jesus is, he is the forgiver of sin. That's the, the whole point of everything he does right here in this miracle, is to forgive sin. And yet, it seems to be the most controversial thing in the world in this moment. But we need to start this by looking at the reward of faith. Because this is about faith, and it will always come back to faith. Faith is the currency that God deals with people on. 
Okay, faith is how he interact, we interact with him. It's what he looks for in us. Faith, it has been about faith from the beginning, and it will always be about faith until Jesus returns and the kingdom is fully established. See, God has not changed his mind on how he deals with people. There are some teachings out there that say that God dealt with people a certain way at different times, and, and that he dealt with people in this way at this time, and he dealt with people in a different way at this time. That's not true. God has always required faith. And that has never changed. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and find that if they had had faith, we wouldn't be here today like this. Faith has always been the key. We find Abraham. What do we find? It was faith. He believed God and God credited to him his righteousness. We're going to talk about that in a second. And so we have to look at what is going on faith-wise that gets Jesus to a point that he can now say the things that he says. Because faith is the key that unlocks the door to the things of God. And so let's look again at just verses 17 through 20. He says, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees, teachers of the law, were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Okay, what does this mean? This means word has gotten out. Jesus has performed enough miracles now that he's drawing a crowd from a pretty good distance. People are hearing about this guy who's healing people, who's, you know, miraculous catches of fish. Things are happening. He's teaching. His teaching is different. Word has gotten out. And not only are people who are interested are coming, but who else is showing up? People with not so good motives. The gatekeepers, if you will, the ones who are going to check this out, let's make sure it's legitimate. And I am qualified to make that judgment, so I'm going to go show up and we'll, we'll see what this guy's all about. Because Luke goes out of his way to tell us, hey, these people have come from all over the place. So there's a large crowd. And they gather, and then he tells us, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Faith is the way to God. There's nothing else. There is no other path to God. There is nothing else that is going to, to get you into his presence, that is going to get his attention. There is no action on our part that we can earn or, or you know, do anything to earn his love or his attention. It takes faith. Now, here's the good news. Faith is always received by God. God will never turn away a person who comes in faith. Okay, the scripture says that a bruised reed he will not break. Your faith may be just an ember. I mean, it, it may be the, the most faint, tiny thing in your life that you're just holding on to before you give up on everything. And you come to God with that little flicker of faith. And guess what? He'll turn it into something. And he always will. This is how God works. But we cannot come to God with our demands. We cannot come to God telling him how it's going to be or, or how it should be or how we, we can ask, you know, for how we want it to be. But we even then need to be prepared for he probably has a different plan than us. Mm -hmm. But when we come to him in faith, he 
will receive it. It is the common factor in everyone who pleases God in Scripture from Old Testament to New. It's faith. You cannot find a person who pleases God that the Bible does not reference their faith in some way. And it's what gets Jesus' attention here. So we need to stop and talk about it. Now, in this instance, what is it? It's a group of friends who will stop at nothing to get their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. Now, why? Because they've heard about the healings, they've heard the teachings, and they are fully convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. They are fully convinced that he is able to do this. And you know what I love on this is, you know, people talk about, is it works? Is it faith? Is it Look, works and faith are this. You can't separate them. Okay? Faith always leads to works. Faith... Faith motivates us to do things. Faith moves us from where we are, okay? I guarantee this guy's been paralyzed. We don't know how long. We don't know what the story is, but he's got friends that are taking care of him because in that day, there's no welfare system or anything. So this guy's alive because people love him. And somebody out of that group heard Jesus, saw Jesus, and said, this is the guy. And I love what was their first thought. We got to go get him. And take him to Jesus. What is it? That is love of neighbor. That is love of someone else. That is faith. They believe that Jesus can do what he, you know, they just, they're convinced of it. So I, I don't know how many of you ever tried to carry a person. It's not easy. A paralyzed human body trying to carry that thing around. So that's why there's a group of them. And they're like, look, we'll get them there. We don't know how far they had to walk. All of that didn't matter to them. Why? Because they had faith and it motivated them. Let's get it done. Let's get him there. And so they get there and there's this massive crowd. He's in a house. We can read from other gospel accounts. This is Peter's house. So you think Peter enjoyed this? You know, it's like everybody's showing up. He's like, man, come on, guys. And then Jesus is in there teaching and these guys show up and they're carrying him. I don't know how exhausted they may be, but they, they get there and they cannot get people to move because crowds are awesome, right? They're very understanding. And so they can't get them to move. And guess what? Faith continues to push them. Faith pushes them. And they say, look, we're going to get this done. We are getting him in front of Jesus. And when we are desperate for God like that, it's amazing the creativity we can come up with. You know, what's the old saying? Necessity is the mother of invention. Look, we can't press through the crowd. Somebody's like, yeah, we're going up to the roof. Um, man, this isn't your house. I don't care. I'll help them fix it after it's over. We're going up to the roof and we'll lower them down. You sure, man? Yeah, I'm, yeah, let's go. Yeah, I am too. Let's do this. And they climb up to the roof. Now, understand, that's not roofs like here. You know, people hung out on the roof in those times a lot. The way the houses were built, people could go up to the roof and just kind of lounge. And so digging a hole through the roof, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not like impossible. And so they go up there. And I love this because they, they start digging a hole. And you know Jesus is teaching. At what point does he like stop? You're almost there. <laughs> Little to the left. Okay. And, you know, and he sees them lowering down. I don't know if he keeps teaching how much he just watches, but he lets them do this. And it says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Notice what God is attention. Faith. Faith that moved these people to action. Faith in which they would not accept anything less 
than getting to Jesus. They didn't just hope something would happen. They knew it in their heart that if we get this guy to Jesus, he will heal him. We just got to get him there. And when you believe something that strongly, you'll take action. And that is my personal definition of faith. Something you believe so strongly that it requires action. That you are so convinced of it, you must act upon it. It will dictate your thoughts, your heart, your actions, everything about it. And so these people will stop at nothing because true faith will see the truth and move towards it. And Jesus is the truth. And so true faith always brings us to Jesus. And the closer we move to Jesus, the more we will love him. The more we love him, the more we will follow him in obedience. Faith starts with belief and always leads to actions. Now, those actions may be expressed in something we do or in self-control that keeps us from doing something. Either way, it is faith that is going to dictate how we act. And I love this, as faith does not waver in the face of, face of obstacles. In fact, that is where faith thrives. That's where it shows itself. How many of you in here have ever prayed, God, increase my faith? One person. Okay, yeah, more hands. This is interactive right here. How many have prayed, God, increase my faith? Did life get harder after that? You see, sometimes I think what we mean is, God, make my life easier so that I, you know, everything will work out. And we, we want to substitute faith, and we say, no. He says, no, you do need more faith, so I'm going to give you opportunities to exercise faith. Now, how many here like exercise? Exercise is hard, right? What does exercise do? What is the, literally what is exercise designed to do? Take you to your limit, right? It doesn't matter if it's cardio. It doesn't matter if it's muscle building. It does, you, you take it to the limit to almost failure so that you can then get stronger or be able to endure more so that you could go farther the next time. So what do you think it is when we exercise faith? God is going to take us to points where we're on the verge of failure. He's going to show us where we're weak. He's going to emphasize those places where we need to trust more. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes we're going to be sore for days and say, you know what, maybe that was, uh, maybe I overdid it. This hurts, this hard, God, and you start praying, and, and what happens? You start doing the exercises of faith. You start praying, or you start looking for answers. You start self-reflecting a little bit more in light of Scripture, thinking, where did I fail? What happened? And we start going through that process. Guess what? Our faith gets stronger. These people had gone through enough in their life, praying to God, taking care of their friend, doing everything that they do, that when they saw the opportunity, they weren't going to stop at anything. There was nothing going to keep them from getting this guy to Jesus. That shows not only were they committed to the truth of who Jesus was, what he could do, but they were also committed to their friend. And that is exactly what God calls us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you see that on display right here. And so faith does not waver in the face of obstacles. It sees past them, believing that even when there are logical reasons not to believe, we still believe that God can do something. 
You know what that's called? It's called hope. And this kind of faith was evidenced in Abraham in the Old Testament when God promised him he would be the father of many nations despite his advanced age and his barren wife. Here's what Paul says about Abraham's faith. Romans 4, 18 through 22. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now notice it says he grew strong in his faith. He didn't have that full measure of faith at the beginning when God started dealing with him. How long did Abraham wait? He waited 25 years. God told him, he said, you're going to have a son. And he's like, okay, I'm 75. This, this should probably happen soon. And God said, no, it won't. We're going to wait 25 more years. And you're going to be 100 years old. Your wife's going to be 80. And that's when you're going to start your family. That sounds appealing, doesn't it? <laughs> and yet it says here, he didn't waver. Like, he, he saw the obstacles. He knew. He's like, I have every reason not to believe right now. Every logical, scientific reason for me to say this can't happen. It's not possible. Yet God told me it can, and it will. So I believe it's going to. And he waited 25 years for it to happen. He chose to believe the word of the Lord. Faith is always rewarded by God. It's just not in the way we want a lot of times. It's not in the timing that we want. It's not how we would do things. But it is always rewarded. And that's why sometimes people, I, they come to me and they're frustrated. They're like, I believed God and nothing happened. And I'm like, well, you know, how long did, did you give God a timetable? Well, yeah, I wanted, you know, it was important and I prayed and it didn't happen. I said, well, then maybe God's got something bigger, maybe something better, maybe just something different. Do you still believe that God is good? Well, yeah, but I don't know why he didn't answer this. Well, I don't either. Talk to him about it. But are you going to be mad at God about it, or are you going to keep walking in faith? Because we're going to miss the blessings if we stay mad at God about these things. If we blame him, it's, you know, we're just going to get stuck in one spot. Because God always rewards faith. And so what we have to believe is that God is over and above everything else in this world, whether outside ourselves or within ourselves. Faith seeks and finds the truth and then walks in that truth always. And faith is not a weapon that we can try to utilize against God to force his hand. Well, God, you said, you know, if I do this, you'll give me the desires of my heart. And I did this, so you give me what I want. Guess what? That's not faith. That's manipulation, and God sees right through it. When we have real faith, genuine faith in God, we are willing to trust him no matter how long it takes, no matter where it takes us, no matter how much it may even hurt. We've got to keep trusting God. Because in the end, it will work out. Faith gives us hope and enables us to see God and hear from God when others cannot. And when life tells us to do the opposite, we're able to continue to trust. Abraham had a true faith in Jesus 
These people had a true faith in Jesus, and it, they would not stop. And so what happens then is faith becomes the key that unlocks a bigger world. How many of you came to God in your life for maybe a specific reason, a genuine faith though, you know, you're hurt and you're lonely or, or whatever, and then after you came to faith, you found this whole other world you didn't know existed. You just realize, like, oh, God is good. This is, this is amazing. You know, I have a friend in, in Washington State that I led to the Lord, and I talk to him regularly still, and it's seeing this guy come to faith in God and then just grow has been just a blessing in my own life to, to be a part of. And every time I talk to him, every time, without fail, this guy, he's like 72 years old now, and he spent most of his life not following God, and now he is. And every time he says, this is amazing. He says, God really means this stuff. And he's soaking up scripture. I mean, he's growing, he's learning, he's now become a deacon and, and, and everything. But he just, he says, God never ceases to amaze me. He says, I can't believe I lived this long and didn't know that all this was out there. Because faith opens the door literally to Narnia. Okay, it opens the door to this whole new existence. And that's what happens right here. Jesus starts to introduce the truth of what's going on. And it's not what anybody expected. Okay, so the truth is revealed. And what is that truth? The truth is that Jesus is the forgiver of sin. That Jesus himself can forgive and will forgive sin. That he has the power to do so. And so listen in verse 21 again. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they're not wrong in their question right there. This is the great irony of this passage. They just won't make the connection. They're, they're, they, they've got the information correct. They just don't have the faith to see what's standing right in front of them. And so he says, who is this speaks past me? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, now don't miss that. They didn't say it out loud. Now, what would be your reaction if you're thinking that? The person looks at you and says, why are you thinking that? <laughs> uh, who, me? There's another miracle right here embedded in the miracle. He's reading their mind. Now, it's not that Jesus went around reading everybody's mind. The Holy Spirit gave him that ability in that moment because of what's happening. But he literally read their minds. He heard their thoughts. This is another miracle that's pointing towards who he is. And he says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus reveals the most important issue before them. And what we often focus on in this is, of course, that a paralyzed man is healed, right? I mean, that's just amazing. Like, who, who does that? We see him rise, walk, take your bed, and he's, woohoo! and he's jumping up. He's celebrating. You know this is emotional. People are probably cheering out there. Pharisees are confused. This is kind of chaos in this moment. It's a good chaos, but it's chaos. 
But that's not the point. The entire point of the passage is in Jesus saying, man, your sins are forgiven you after seeing their faith. Now, this includes the faith of the paralyzed man. The paralyzed man had faith too. Okay, he didn't object to them bringing I mean, sometimes we just focus on the friends. Uh, the friends bringing him to Jesus would have been no good if this man didn't have faith himself too. He believed in Jesus. And so, for those who are focused only on the physical, whose priorities are worldly, the paralysis is obviously the worst thing this man is facing. Yet, the first thing Jesus addresses when he sees him is what? His spiritual condition. His sin. Now, we don't expect this. Nobody expected this. Everybody's expecting a healing. Okay, that's what everybody's shown up for. They're, they enjoy the teaching because it's different with authority. It's, you know, it's rattling the Pharisees, so people are enjoying that. But they're, they're gathered for one purpose, and what is that? To see a miracle. They want to see the tricks. They want to see the miracles. They want to see these things. And so Jesus takes advantage. you got this massive crowd there, and he takes advantage to shift the narrative to what's really important. And he looks at them, sees their faith, and says, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, that is a hard right turn that nobody expected. And they question, wait, whoa, 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 this is, and they say blasphemy. In their own mind, they're thinking, blasphemy, this man's claiming to be God. And they're offended by it, and they're questioning, and they're confused, and they don't know it. And this should challenge all of us. Are we as impressed with spiritual wellness as we are with physical? Are we pursuing spiritual wellness as much as we pursue physical wellness? Do we value spiritual wellness as much as we value physical wellness? Unfortunately, most of the time in churches, that's just not the case. And I'll tell you why. And y'all have heard me say this before, but look at the general prayer requests of a small group, a Sunday school class, a church, and what are they almost always exclusively about? I call it the health and wellness report. Who's sick? Who's sick? Who's hurt? Who needs healing? Who got... And, and that's almost all we seem to pray about. And we should pray about those things. The Bible tells us to, but if we stop there, we are showing that we value the physical over the spiritual. And Jesus right here flips that narrative on its head. And this man that's paralyzed is being lowered down. It's clear the, the, the problem is obvious. And, and what they're wanting is obvious. And yet Jesus, the first thing he goes to is, hey, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You know why? Because that was the biggest obstacle in this man's life. His sins were the biggest problem in his life, not his paralysis. Now, obviously, his friends brought him there to be healed physically. Nobody's thinking this. You see, Jesus <laughs> is doing this in this moment to unveil the truth, to amplify the truth of what he's there to do. And so everybody's kind of shocked. Probably the man is too. But you know, he had faith in Jesus, and so when he hears your sins are forgiven, I wonder if in that moment a weight was lifted. 
Maybe he's paralyzed because of some sin in his life. Maybe he's doing something he shouldn't have been doing and had an accident. He's paralyzed and he's lived with that guilt all these years. Or maybe he was born this way and he's been taught his entire life, God doesn't like you and that's why you're paralyzed because they believe that then. If you were born with some kind of physical ailment, it was God's judgment on you. You clearly sinned while you were in the womb. They believed that. And so he's been told maybe his whole life, God doesn't like you. God's judgment is on you. You deserve this. And so to hear in that moment, your sins are forgiven. He might have felt like, I can, I can die. I'm free. I can't walk, but I'm free. I'm already free. This moment, you know, this something changed in this man in that moment. And so everyone's happy with healing. But the instant sin comes to the forefront, people get uncomfortable. Why is that? Because it's easier to hide behind the physical than to be exposed to the spiritual. It, it just is. And that's what Jesus came to do. But he came to heal. But we have to expose that sin to him. We have to literally open up ourselves to Jesus and give ourselves to him you know, warts and all. we got to show who we are to him, give it to him, and we will receive the same grace that he did. And he will say, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus turns it on its head. And listen, again, what does he say? He says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? Now he says, which is easier to say? He's saying, which is a deeper truth here? For him, it would have been easier to just heal the man and go on. Because the difficult thing in this was him saying your sins are forgiven because he knows he's picking a fight with certain people. He knows it's going to make his life more difficult. He knows the controversy that's going to be surrounding this. And so he's like, which is easier? Now, both of these actions are equally impossible for everybody else that's there. So he's wanting them to think about the ramifications of what's happening. The Pharisees aren't wrong in their question. They just aren't willing to admit the obvious. They say, who but God can forgive sins? Clearly. So if he's forgiving sins, who is he? And he says, if you need proof that I have the authority to do this, get up walk. Take your mat. Go home. Paralyzed man gets up, walks, rejoicing, praising God, and now they've got a situation that they've got to figure out. He claimed to forgive sins. I saw him heal somebody, and he said, the fact that I can heal, it shows that I have the authority to do what else I said I did, and that was forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Decisions have to be made, and that's what the truth will do. Faith will always lead us to the point where the truth is revealed and we have to make a choice. Because I need you to pay attention to this. The greatest thing that happened that day was not that a paralytic walked, but that a sinner was forgiven. It was. That was the greatest miracle that happened that day was that sin was forgiven. And we all have to adopt that same mindset that spiritual wellness is always of greater value than physical wellness. I'm not saying we can't pursue physical wellness. I'm not saying we can't pray about it. 
but spiritual wellness is that which will last for all eternity. This body will die one day. The spirit will live forever. Eternity is a lot longer than this life. And if we don't pursue spiritual wellness with a greater fervor than we do physical wellness, we're missing out on what God wants for us. And so the question we have to ask ourselves from this is, am I missing the obvious like the Pharisees were? Am I missing? There are a lot of people that believe Jesus performed miracles. There are a lot of people that believed Jesus was, was a good person. There are a lot of people that believe, but, but too many people believe good things about Jesus, but not the truth about Jesus, that he is Lord of all creation. And they don't bend their knee to him in reverence, in worship, and in service. They simply look at him as a person to give them what they want. They're looking to him to, to make their lives work as an add-on instead of the centerpiece that everything else orients around it. And so ask yourselves, am I missing the obvious? All the Pharisees had to do in that moment was put two and two together and see the obvious answer, but they refused to do so. The proof of Jesus' authority was in the fact he healed the paralysis. The ramifications of his authority is that he was in fact God in the flesh who also had the authority and the willingness to forgive sin when he saw faith. We can't benefit from one part of Jesus and refuse to accept the other. Everybody wants the benefit of Jesus, but they don't want the lordship of Jesus. And you don't get either if you don't accept him as Lord and Savior and live for him. Now, again, here's some more good news. Jesus calls sinners. That's what he came to do. See, this wasn't just like a one-off where he's like, oh yeah, man, this guy's got a sin problem. Let me take care of that. He's showing us what this is all about. And, and this is the, the great thing about when you, when you learn to read scripture the right way. Stories are put together on purpose. Okay, oftentimes we, we, we kind of miss that sometimes. And we don't pay attention to where stories are placed and what comes after it and what went before it and those kind of things. What comes right after this healing of the, the paralytic? The calling of a tax collector. Very next thing. See, Jesus calls sinners. Listen to verse 27. After this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to beautiful. See, Jesus wasn't focused on the physically infirm. Jesus came to seek and save that those who were lost. Jesus didn't just come to make it, you know, to, to be the, the, the medical miracle that everybody needed. He came to be the savior of humanity. And in this moment, Jesus does something that it's likely even his disciples at the moment questioned and didn't understand. 
You know why? Because tax collectors were despised. Okay, and, and for good reason. Who were the tax collectors? These were the people who sided and worked for Rome who had Israel under their boot militarily and, and taxing them and, and controlling them. And there was always animosity between the Romans and the Jews because, you know, who likes foreign invaders taking over your country? And, and they considered them unclean and yet they're in control. And, and, this was, and these were Jewish people who agreed to work with the Romans to collect taxes from their own people. And it was up to the tax collectors to collect their own salary in collecting taxes. Rome didn't pay them. They just said, hey, take your, we need, we need X amount so you can take a little bit more and that's your salary. Now, if these people are already universally despised, what do you think they're doing with those taxes? What every government in the history of mankind has done with taxes. They overtaxed and kept a whole bunch for themselves. They were dishonest about it. And so they were hated. These were people who, who lived off as just kind of leeches on society. And so Jesus is walking by and he sees one sitting at the booth. He's like, hey, you, come on. Come follow me. You know his disciples are like, do what? Jesus, no, 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 come on. I mean, I get we're welcome to it, but a tax collector, that's too far. And he's like, no, it's not. Come, follow me. And he says he leaves everything, leaves his booth, leaves everything. And then he throws him a party at his house, which I guarantee this is a nice party because they're rich. And what does he do? He calls all his tax collector buddies, come with him. So this is a collection of everybody that's hated in society in this moment. And Jesus is like, hey, what's up? Let's have a party. And again, who shows up? The gatekeepers. You love how the gatekeepers are always there. They just, they're always there. We as Christians sometimes got to get used to the gatekeepers just always going to be there. And they, yeah, they want to throw water on everything. And, and it's just what they do. But they show up and they're just disgusted. Why is he eating with sinners? What's going on here? He offends the Pharisees before and he's probably making everybody uncomfortable now. <clears throat> but this was only unacceptable to the self-righteous. Because it was the very thing Jesus came to do. And they're like, why are you eating with sinners? Why are you doing this? Come on, don't you know who these people are? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so I repeat, the greatest miracle that God will ever perform is the rebirth of a sinner into a saint. And that is salvation. It is offered freely to everyone. All we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is move towards God and say, God, I believe. I confess I'm a sinner. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Come into my life. I give myself to you, and he will save you, and you will be reborn in your sins forgiven. Y'all, that's why I get so excited when we have baptism, because that is the pinnacle of everything that the church should be doing. When one person comes to, to faith in Jesus Christ. It says that all of heaven rejoices. And I love that. That all of heaven. The angels. The heavenly host. God. Every time somebody. Some sinner. Bends his knees to God. And says God I'm yours. I confess I'm a sinner. I need you in my life. I give myself to you. Be Lord of my heart and my life. Every time that happens. All of heaven is like. Yeah. 
Because that's how much God values each and every soul. But he's not going to force us. The invitation is there. And he has said, whosoever will, whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. But we have to choose to believe. Will you hear the call of Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life? Will you trust him even when it doesn't make sense and continue to follow him in faith and see that faith rewarded one day? Because it will happen. I can't tell you when, I don't know how, but I know one day we will, everybody who is born again will be in heaven with Jesus and you will see the reward of your faith and it will be greater than anything you could ever imagine. But we have to respond. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, I just, I thank you, Lord, that you have come to call the sinner. Because your word says that all have sinned. And so, God, your call is for everybody. You have left nobody out, God. Lord, we open our hearts to your message and to your spirit. And, Lord, if any are in here who do not know you today, God, that I pray right now they would just, just pray, even to themselves right now, just that you would come into their lives, that they would lay down their pride, they lay confess their sin to you. And God, accept you into their lives and be born again. Because, Lord Jesus, you are the forgiver of sin. You came to heal the sick. And the greatest sickness we have is that of sin. It is no physical ailment. It is a spiritual one, and it is deadly. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God, you have told us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, forgiveness, and that all we have to do, as your word says, is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. God, I pray for every heart in here now, God, that, that may be separated from you, God, that they would find their way home, that you would call them. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.